Futurized goes beneath the trends, tracking the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. Join me, futurist Trond Arne Unheim, PhD author, investor, and serial entrepreneur, as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech, such as AI, blockchain, IoT, nanotech, quantum, robotics, and synthetic biology, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship trends for the future of work. I'm a research scholar in global systemic risk, innovation, and policy at Stanford University. On Futurized, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, or even the occasional celebrity. Futurized is a bi-weekly show preparing you to think about how to deal with the next decade's disruption so you can succeed and thrive no matter what happens. Futurized, conversations that matter. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics or are looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, we've got the episode categories. Those are at futurized.org slash episodes. I am the co-author of Augmented Lean, a human-centric framework for managing frontline operation and the author of Health Tech Rebooting Society's Software, Hardware and Mindset Future Tech, How to Capture Value from Disruptive Industry Trends, Pandemic Aftermath, How Coronavirus Changes Global Society, the Disruption Games, How to Thrive on Serial failure and of leadership from below how the internet generation redefines the workplace for an overview you can go to trondenheim.com books at this stage futurize is lucky enough to have several sponsors and to check them out go to futurized.org sponsors if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast or to get an overview of other services provided by me including how to book me for keynote speeches please go to futurize.org store we'll consider all brands that have demonstrably positive contributions to the future. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurist.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes of conversations that matter to the future. Please also leave a positive review on iTunes. Thanks so much. Graham, how are you? Welcome. Good. How are you? Thank you. I'm just shutting up here. Yeah. You know, I'm doing well today. I thought we would talk about uh, the environment. That seems to be something that's on your mind too, Graham, right? That is definitely on my mind and definitely has been on my mind for, I don't know, 22 years at least. Right. Yeah. So you started out in architecture, uh, Canadian. So I, I don't know, do all Canadians who study architecture become green uh, fanatics or is that something you just came up with? <laughs> what is that? Uh, no, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Norway. We're all sort of think of ourselves as, you know, caring for the environment. And I'm making the stereotype that, you know, you're from Canada. So, of course, you care about the environment. You're young and you're, uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Young, I like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know about all of them, but uh, it definitely helped. I think architecture, you tend to have a global view and it's, it's very, very polymath oriented. You look at a lot of different things and you think about systems, and you think about design and and. And very different when I study, but from from what I understand <clears throat> now, you are studying sustainability. Period, which yep. is so great to see because, as you know well, uh, built environments a huge part of things. And so you know, step forward a bunch of years, and basically all architects uh, are going to be well schooled in this. So that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, I was a little glib there initially because I mean, of course, the problem started when. Uh, you know, we were not always taught that, right? In regardless of subjects. So, I mean, and that perhaps is why where we are, where we where we are. Um, look, you've you've had a successful uh, career here building a climate website 
information initiatives. Treehugger.com, most visited green website. You sold it to Discovery, um, billions of page views. And then now you're working on Carbonauts, which is an educational initiative again, helping individuals act and slash their footprints, as you call it there. Um, why don't we talk about Treehugger for just uh, three seconds? So that Great. is an accomplishment. You basically managed to get a lot of eyeballs uh, with a very, uh, I guess, direct name, Tree Huggers, right? Um, yep. how, how did that all happen? That's not easy. Billions of page views. I'm, I'm, that's impressive. Thanks. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, often uh, a pet peeve of mine, too, is people who don't acknowledge this, but uh, there's a, luck plays a, a big role in things. And so when you're in the right place in the right time, it has, a, it has an oversized impact. And uh, so I, I got into environmental uh, air, the area really in 2000, and uh, a few years after that, I, actually in 2000, I literally had the idea for Treehugger, which is treehugger.com, still going strong, now owned by IAC. Um, and uh, yeah, great site, great newsletter, still people working there that I hired, which is just so cool. Mm -hmm. uh, this was in, so basically... Around 2003, 2004, launched in 2004, uh, environmental media was terrible. Yeah, it was. It just was not inspiring, and mm. uh, they were still were doing important work. And so I don't want to disparage that. And a lot of labor's love and and nonprofits doing good work, but I feel like there was a really big missing part, and that was I could see this very cool, inspiring green world out there. And I could put it together in my head, but I really couldn't see it anywhere else. And so I wanted to show people that. So I wanted to create something that was inspired by hope, not inspired by fear. It wasn't about, it was about starting things. It wasn't about just stopping everything. Uh, would appeal to a market outside of the hippies, love the hippies, small group. Uh, and it would be pro-business because I felt like business had to be part of this if, if it was to be successful. So I had a, a unique idea and approach, and then it, it coincided with blogs, which was a new technology that allowed you at a low cost to publish in a really compelling manner. And so that was, they just sort of came together. And, and really my friend Nick Denton from Gawker Media was doing a bunch of blogs, early, early blog guy who did very well and built some you know amazing, amazing sites. And he was like, you should do a blog. Yeah. And at that point, it was perfect. I'd thought about it for years, and it, it, it was time. And so right place, right time, doing the right thing. And then I was really aggressive. We were really aggressive. We pushed really hard. So we were very quickly the biggest screen site on the web and held on to that for a number of years. Hmm. Well, we'll move on to, to what you're up to now. But you know, you, being aggressive is one thing, but... I'm just curious what the secrets are. We'll we'll talk a little about that when when you talk about the carbonauts, the current initiative. Sure. But but right before that, uh, let's just go for a second to this uh, concept that. Uh, so one thing is you know these websites, but the environmental movement uh, or information also about the environment it's changed. Like you pointed out, uh, blogs you know were was this interesting medium. And, you know, it became captured, I guess, with all kinds of groups, right, who wanted to, to share information. What is your view now on sort of looking back on, on, on these years? So before blogs, <coughs> obviously, the environmental movement, had, you know, like other movements, had to have other 
uh, things, right? More public meetings uh, style activism. Well, how do you see these last 30 years of environmental activism? What has worked? What hasn't worked? You know, give me a little sense. Well, I mean, I think if you, you know, the, the, the easiest sort of metric of how things are going is just looking at carbon <laughs> in, in, the, in the atmosphere. And everyone knows that graph and it, it, you know, it's still going in the wrong direction. So I think that's the easiest. Now, you can solve for carbon and still have a crappy world. So there are many other things that really matter, biodiversity being one. Uh, but, you know, overall, uh, we're not winning yet. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of the, the big, the big, big picture. And that really has to change. We do have to, we do have to fix carbon. It's, it's, it's really important. So we've sort of lost there. And I, I don't think it's about pointing fingers, you know, I think, mm -hmm. I think there, there certainly have been some bad actors, but generally people are trying to do their best and, with the information that they have. And, and we've just, uh, you know, the environmental movement, I think, hasn't done a great job on communicating. And I think we've done, we did some of that with, with Tree Hugger, for sure. Uh, scientists, like just learning what matters and how to communicate, you know, a lot of it was talking about, uh, it's a very difficult problem. It's, it's far off or felt, used to be, felt far off in time. So, you know, polar bears and that, just that stuff, we wasted a lot, a lot of time being really sciencey and really, so our communication wasn't great, I, I think is a, is a lot better now and that's good. And I think, you know, somehow partly helped to, to, uh, due to the crazy weather, uh, we, people are concerned and that, that's a real win. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a very high level of awareness and that's amazing. Uh, my current project, which we'll talk about at some point, is really focused on moving people from awareness to action because climate doesn't care about your awareness, right? Climate doesn't care about your feelings. It's, it's not really about what's in your head. It's about your actions. Ultimately, it's a bit of a physics question in <laughs> carbon and biodiversity, and just, it's about the actions that we are taking. And so that, I think, is our, is our uh, big challenge. Hmm. It's but not just, enough uh, to know about this stuff. It's about you got to actually do something about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But 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 the whole pointing finger question. I mean, everybody still though points questions. Even on Carbonauts website, your own website, you say scientists and academics are sounding the alarm, but politicians and corpor corporations aren't doing much. So you're also pointing fingers. But let's yeah. let's point fingers a little bit more at the environmental movement because sure. there, there is the case to to be had there, right? That. Uh, which you were starting to to make, which is, uh, you know, if the movement uh, for decades was preaching the wrong messages, uh, mm -hmm. it doesn't even help, uh, you know, if those messages had a, a kernel of truth to them. I mean, is there is there any truth to this claim that uh, basically a lot of the environmental movement has maybe even damaged a cause because they have communicated such in such a cumbersome way that the mm. real problems either just you know people either were assuming well there's some environmentalists over there who are taking care of that so you could mm -hmm. also use that as an excuse i guess to say well you know politicians perhaps and and even the corporate sector thought well this is a fringe topic those people are talking about like you said polar bears this is this isn't relevant 
right? So you could almost yeah. see it as a misinformation movement. If you really want to miss, uh, you know, if you really want to be very harsh against, you know, a, a lot of the environmental mm. movement, is that fair at all? You know, I think I think we should give people a pass in general, unless. You know, I think intent, this is a thing that is is greatly lacking in our modern society. I think if you're going to point fingers, intent really matters. Mm -hmm. it, it really matters what the intent is. And we seem to somehow forget that. And that's where canceling people left, right, and center and making it unsafe for anyone to say anything because God forbid they would make a mistake. And intent really matters. So I, I don't know. I don't think we should point fingers. I think... Uh, I think none of us have done a particularly good job and all of us in general are doing a, a much better job. And I think that the, the main point with all this environmental stuff is, and I stole this from my friend Saul Griffith, it's a yes and situation. Okay, This is not, it's not like, should is it the corporations or is it the individuals or is it the government? It, yes and. All of them. Yeah, I know. I, I I got that, and I understand that's yeah. your view. But the reason I'm pushing a little bit on this is that you know I have people coming up on this show who have started to take, and these are people who, who some of them were in the environmental movement, you know, over the last few years, but they have suddenly taken on a much more radical attitude, saying, "Oh, you know, we mm. did something wrong, and now I'm going to finally be really radical, and here's what I'm going to do." And yeah. some of those people, obviously, they end up in, uh, you know, and there's names to these organizations, but they run around. Some of them, you know, stop traffic, uh, or yeah. vandalize artwork. And uh, there are fairly reasonable people who would never do that 10 years ago who say, well, now the situation is different. So I'm going to start doing, you know, using different tools. How legitimate is all of that, because we'll get to Carbonauts, because you guys have a very specific, uh, uh, you know, way of doing things in one second. But... Yep. Those very, very extreme uh, actions, are they yep. somehow warranted because we haven't gotten anywhere? Or would you say still mm -hmm. that as long as the intent is good, it's okay? You can, you can be extreme if you mean well? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm yeah, not, it's a bit of a trap here, right? So as long as you, for you. whatever you want. Uh, but I'm just saying that intent should be a consideration if you're trying to point fingers or give someone trouble. I think it's important. Uh, so, uh, I th uh, listen, I think it, it, it's, it's a hard question to answer. But, it, uh, and I, I, I think, okay, so activists, the, the extreme, okay, mm -hmm. I think are actually really valuable for the rest of us because, like, you have, like, the, I guess it's the Overton window. Basically, you have a window of what's sort of okay, and if you if there are radical people to your left or whatever, then you are the more conservative person. And so, in fact, having some of those people could be quite helpful for us. So, um, and I do think they're probably coming from a good place, and they might be entirely right, and we might be overly conservative. If you listen to literally what all of our institutions are saying. We're in real trouble. Yeah. Real trouble. Yeah. And no, that's, so that's them cool. to react that way, it's, it's easy for us to, to sort of look from where we sit and just say, oh, that's crazy. They're so radical. But if we actually listen to what our institutions are saying, one could, I think, fairly easily argue that, that it sort of makes sense what they're doing. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to 
overly pass judgment. And, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to certainly not opposed to protesting. Right. Um, it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a valuable thing. So uh, let's jump to Carbonaut. So you have a very sure. specific new, uh, program here. You're hosting these live, uh, virtual workshops that help people optimize their lifestyle. And I see that currently the full program, there's four courses. Uh, one of them's on persons, personal sustainability. Uh, and one is on shop smart, just, you know, to pick two of them. What are these topics and what do you expect out of, uh, a participant? What happens once you take this course? Is this some sort of life changing journey? Is it little tips that'll help you along the way? What, what are, what is the carbonates? What is the, your ambition here? So we're trying to meet people where they are. Um, you know, I've been lucky. I've sold a couple companies. I don't need to be doing this. Um, this stuff really matters to me. I really want to make a difference. And and I became obsessed with the idea of how we move from awareness to action. And so I, I think it's, this is very much a yes and. So we need our corporations are very powerful. Government's very power, powerful. Uh, the individual is very powerful. And we need to all get them moving in the right direction. And so the, sort of the, the big the big thinking with the Carbonauts is we work for some great clients, Amazon, Chanel, Toyota, AT&T, Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. And these are really big companies and they can make a really big difference with uh, their staff themselves, but then what they do as a company. And so we're basically trying to meet their staff where they are and move them along their climate journey. Hmm. And so uh, in, a, in a world where, uh, many companies are have, either have aggressive environmental goals or will have aggressive environmental goals. Um, you got to get everyone rowing in the same direction. Hmm. So, so it's I an say, offering for corporations more than it is directly for individuals. Is the B two B offering? This is what you got. Yeah. So we're primarily B two B. We're starting to do some partnerships, and we're, we will do some B two C as well. But um, we like the B two B because then we stand a chance of really affecting the corporation itself. And we, we see that as, as very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so we're, 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 you know, in a, so many of these companies have these big goals uh, and culture eats strategy. So you got to get your culture right. And this is a world where the average person thinks it's about straws. You talk, start talking about sustainability. They start talking about packaging, like thing, things we need to solve for sure but not the big, chunky, meaty, important things that you want to do personally. And so we help uh, via these live workshops, people understand what we call the big six. Uh, and, and we teach all sorts of other stuff, but that's sort of a fundamental part. So we use a carbon calculator, Berkeley Cool Climate Calculator, the most peer-reviewed calculator out there. We have our own version of it. We help people understand their footprint and the big components of it, and then really get them to work on the, on the meteor, meteor, uh, meteor issues, uh, and then ideally really get them talking about it and sharing about it such that we build the social norms that we need uh, to get this world to uh, where it needs to get to. So these big six actions are all to reduce your footprint? Yeah, and we're not, I mean, we are the carbonauts, so obviously car carbon is a through line. Uh, we definitely are game for, you know, biodiversity and regenerative ag and you know, plastic in the ocean and all these other things. But that's the, that's the main, we do have to solve carbon. And so the big six are uh, switch to renewable energy, uh, reduce miles driven if you drive and drive uh, as many of them as electric as possible, 
uh, move to a plant-rich diet, reduce food waste, uh, start composting, reduce and optimize flying, buy high-quality offsets, and uh, build social norms via sharing about all this stuff. So that's sort of the, the, the main uh, components uh, of the Big Six. Got it. And uh, there is something on your website which I found kind of interesting. I'm assuming it is kind of a systems dynamics observation. You said that the Carbonauts believe if we can get 3.5% of the population living these compelling lives, low footprint lives, the tipping point will be reached. Um, and then you're saying these uh, governments and corporations will then, I guess, feel the incentive to turn or tip the rest of the society fairly rapidly to a sustainable way of life. I mean, that's a big thesis. I don't, I'm not saying I disagree with you. Um, where does the 3.5% number come from? Is this one of the studies you've looked at? Um, and I guess, what's the plan to get these 3.5 uh, to enroll in this course? Um, great question. And I would say we've sort of evolved our thinking so that it sh shouldn't even be on the website anymore, frankly. Uh, that is uh, from this woman, Erica, uh, forgetting her last name at this point in time, uh, but from Harvard. And basically she was looking at uh, how governments end up toppling around the world. And, and, and essentially, if you can get three and a half percent of the population protesting on a regular basis, uh, then that's when things change. Uh, we think it's probably more like 25% um, in, in the context of what work we do at this point. Uh, and so, yeah, our, our, our theory of change is that you, you find um, change agents, change ambassadors within these companies, and, if, and usually it'll be sub 5%. And then you find them, you educate them, you inspire them, you incent them, you support them. Um, so that they can continue on their climate journey and share about it to influence others in a non in a tactful, non-preachy manner. Uh, and with that, if you can gain some momentum, you can build that to 25% of the company, that's when the whole company will flip. And I think the basic idea there is uh, with stuff that we just sort of fundamentally know is the right thing to do, you just need to get enough people around you that are starting to do it, and then you'll do it. And so that's the, you know, the basis of social norms is that we look to the people around us. And so if out of your 10 friends, there's, there's something that fundamentally you believe, and all of a sudden three of your friends are doing it, that's when you're likely going to flip. So that's, that's our big sort of change idea. And so we want to do that with our clients. And if mm. we can do that with our clients, you go up one level, get a quarter of all companies doing it, and all the rather rest of the companies will do it. And so social norms is what drive us. And that's why in this recent sort of post-fact world, you could, we saw it so clearly. Facts don't matter. What matters is what your tribe says. So if you're trying to figure out how to behave, you look around you. You look to your tribe. That's how you make your decision. To, to, the, <laughs> to the result that you can even ignore facts if that's what your tribe tribe is saying. And so these social norms are critical. So our I view our role at the Carbonauts is we are trying to find these change ambassadors and and help help them build momentum, help them learn what they need to know, help support them, help them build momentum and help get that mo momentum going to reach a quarter of whatever population such that things flip. 
And how's that going? What, what's your experience uh, so far? What, what, you know, what, what are you learning, I guess, in, in this uh, journey? It's, it's going pretty great. Uh, we definitely, it's not easy. It's not easy for sure. You got to sort of pull every, every behavior change uh, trick in the book. And yeah, it's a, you know, it's a very difficult problem. Hmm. It's not, you know, not all of this is convenient. Some of it still is really a long, you know, the, the, the true disaster is long-term. It's still out there. Like hmm. we're seeing forest fires, we're seeing crazy weather, we're seeing flooding, but not everyone is experiencing that themselves. And so it's still out there. So it's, so it's still a, a very difficult problem, but we're pretty successful. Like hmm. we have some of our longer, we have like one hour workshops. We also have ones that are four hours and six hours, like an hour a week for four or six weeks. And with those ones, we, we can get 20, 30, 40% reductions in their footprints. So some real me meaningful stuff. And part of our the main point here is that there are some great solutions out there. Uh, but it, they don't matter if no one takes them up. And if people do take them up, that's when you uh, get some volume going and prices can drop and you build the social norms and the stuff really uh, starts to come online. So. What are some of the uh, motivations? You know, you mentioned some big brand name clients. What do you think they're trying to achieve by signing up with you? Um, is it to put in their CSR reports that they have uh, put their employees through these courses? Or are they truly actually measuring their employees' footprints and, and really want to to tip the world in their, uh, you know, in the green direction themselves? What What are some of the motivations, do you think? You know, I mean, I think it'll really be a mixed bag, but I would say that I've been pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised at how aggressive many of the goals are. And we're generally talking to sustainability people within in these organizations. So these are generally people that really care. Uh, I would say what has been interesting is uh, our, our workshops clearly have HR benefits. And so we definitely hear a lot about employee engagement and you know, we're very mission driven and nerdy. And so we love it. We love carbon reductions and we love like actions taken and that's that stuff. And I think definitely some of our clients are into that, but you hear a lot of employee engagement. So it's a lot of it is just like, yeah, we we, we just, we feel like this is a good thing. And, you know, there, there certainly studies are suggesting, particularly for the youth, that it really matters what the values of the company are. Mm -hmm. and, and so if you can, if you can, this is a way of showing we care, we're going to help support you guys on your climate journey. And so I think that really helps with the retention and, and morale and team building. And so there's some good HR and, and that's great. And we're so we're awesome. We're so happy that that is the case. And, and we're even starting to try to really measure it. But um, yeah, we're nerdy. We like the carbon and the actions and, and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, where, where's all this going? Are you uh, optimistic? Uh, and, you know, I always ask my uh, guests about future, and future can mean a lot of things. But you know, the, the the future of the environmental movement or green behavior, I guess, which is sort of more your target here. Um, where are we going? If you're looking into the next decade, for example, or or even towards the next decade, are you are you seeing any movement here? Are we are we gonna be able to turn the world around? And what indicators do you have? Uh, do you think these various carbon calculators and, and corporate tracking schemes, uh, are they going to get on? Uh, are we going to be able to measure 
important things and are we going to make true difference uh, you know on those calculators or on, on the actual metrics are we going to move in the right move in the needle I feel like you. It depends on the day that you wake up and how you look at things. Like I, I prefer to remain positive. I think there's, if you look for it, or even if you don't look for it, there's tremendously great news coming out all the time, which is, which is, which is really exciting. And at the same time, lots of bad news. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really. It's a really mixed bag, so I don't think it's sort of clear either way. We're you know we're definitely in trouble, but I think the the market is starting to really recognize some of this stuff, and a lot of people are putting a lot of money into research and design and coming up with re just really great solutions of all sorts, and that's like that's really really exciting. So uh, I like to remain optimistic. I think most of us. I think it, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was different. Now we really understand what's happening and we have a, a lot more ways of measuring it and we, we get it and people, people are aware. And so I remain, uh, I remain quite positive. Hmm. Yeah. About, what about, about the, what about the longer term? I mean, you know, the, the UN and others obviously are looking, you know, 25 years, certainly, I mean, 2050, you know, seems to be this big date, 2040, 2050. These are really big dates. Some people mm -hmm. care about this decade thinking, you know, it's all going to happen then. But, you know, some of the bad results, right, they're forecast for around 2050. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then obviously, end of the century could either be really bad or it could be when we potentially have uh, kind of crossed the chasm. What's your view on that? I mean, is it possible to take a view on that? Should individuals care that far in the future? Well, certainly if you, if you have kids, yeah. uh, you should care about this. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I think a lot of it rides on techn technological development. Uh, you know, I think, like, can we reduce our footprints a lot? Yeah, for sure we can. Uh, but I feel like some form of carbon carbon capture capture is going to be necessary at some point. So I hope that comes uh, sooner rather than later. Because you're, I, you're I talking about DAC, the director air, because obviously the industrial capture, there are solutions that could at least do it. You know, industrially, right. maybe not fantastically well, but it, they can somehow get it done. But you're talking about you know scalable yeah. director air, yeah. Yeah, I guess air, I guess there are other places that we can take it, but yeah, totally. So I think we'd sort of have to fix that. And and yeah, so yeah. that's a big, big, big question. So mm. yeah, I, so it's it's easy to sort of take both sides of this, you know. It 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 doesn't look good. <laughs> right. And our track record isn't great. And it feels like we have turned a corner. I've been at this twenty-two years. It feels like there's a real uptick and 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 things are really changing. Governments are starting to really get it. Corporations are starting to really get it. Individuals are starting to really get it, and 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 there's just a lot more stuff sort of in the market that people are figuring out. Like, I, I have some friends who are working on this thing called New Atlantis, which is basically doing get this. I can hardly explain it. Uh, doing a metagenomic analysis of the ocean, so looking at uh, marine protected areas (MPAs) and uh, figuring out sort of how to evaluate the health of the ocean and then make it an asset on the blockchain so that people can invest in, in these areas such that as the health increases, the asset uh, gets more valuable. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, or, or just the satellite stuff that uh, like Will and the gang at Planet are doing. They're able to look at deforestation or even uh, carbon emissions, methane emissions, the entire planet on like a daily basis. Like we are coming up with some pretty amazing ways to, to, to measure things and more and more ways to, to do things. So I don't, it's, it's, you know, it's the whole thing's super exciting and like terrifying. The, uh, you know, geoengineering, uh, I don't know if you read, uh, what is it, the, 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 the white sky, um, I'm forgetting her name so bad, uh, you know, we, humans do not have a great track record <laughs> on unintended consequences, so the geoengineering stuff terrifies me, uh, but... You know, we may, there may be some unilateral bio uh, uh, geoengineering that happens, like the, the stuff that could, you know, so we, we, we I think that the, the, the larger big, big challenge for us humans period is that we have gone hundreds of years ago, you, you know, you, you can't do much with, uh, with an ax and a shovel and a few, like those were our technologies. Now when you got AI and robots uh, and bioterrorism and nukes, small amounts of people can really mess things up. And so that's uh, that's probably the, the larger terrifying thing. <laughs> we, we may we, we may nail climate change, um, but we still have to. We're still humans, and we have we just smaller numbers of people can have tremendous effects on the entire planet, and uh, that's a little scary. Yeah, so that's on the risk side. But what about on the vision side? So you mentioned a couple, you know, New Atlantis, that, that's a very ambitious name, right? And uh, obviously, planetary sensors or vision on deforestation, that, that's those are big things. And, and geoengineering is it would be a massive project, even though, you, you know, small-scale bioengineering arguably, you know, happens on farmland uh, all the time in various places. Yeah. Um, are there truly big visions that you have been impressed with or that you are missing in terms of uh, taking this on? Because, you, I mean, some of it is a technology challenge, for sure. Other yeah. things is a behavior challenge and could just be solved by people, I guess, taking your courses. Which ones yep. are the bigger challenges? And, you know, is there anything you're missing kind of on the on the giga side of, uh, of things? Or, or do you think, do you, when you look around, and, you know, you seem informed, right? You look at a lot of these uh, uh, developments, uh, you know, do you, you mentioned a couple of them. Are there enough mm-hmm. of these very, very ambitious projects that attempt to either, like you say, you know, bring in a chunk of the world and just do the right thing so that the rest of us will, will also do the right thing? What kind of approaches, you know, would work here? You know, should people just get together? And is it a case of investing a lot of money in it together? Or is it just getting enough ideas out there? You know, could one or two big ideas really make a difference? You know, how do you see the the trajectory of change uh, being affected by various factors that could come into play? I mean, the, the technology thing that could really swing things. There's there 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 is no doubt. You know, if we figured out fusion, I always get fission and fusion mixed up. But you know, there's some things like that that if we like figured it out all of a sudden, like that could just change everything. So there are definitely I think there are, there is also some beautiful uh, looking at 
the indigenous and our past and just smart way of doing things. So like the regen ag movement and figuring out how to sequester carbon in soil or in the ocean. Yeah. Regen ag, like, you know, if we can make that a big thing, which we may be able to, you know, that could change everything. So yeah, there are a lot of things that could just swing this one way or the other. Absolutely. And so I, I was just, you know, went down a bit of a rabbit hole highlighting some of the scary negative ones, but there are also very much uh, positive ones. And uh, we're seeing, and there's a lot of effort to find them at this point. So hmm. um, I certainly would love to see uh, a lot more investment, uh, both gov governmental and corporate in all these things and in, in, you know, have a diversified portfolio. Like, I think there's some really some, you know, Hail Mary long-term fusion, probably being one of them that, that, yeah, we should be spending money on stuff that, that might seem crazy, but would really change things if we worked it out and then some less crazy and then some very standard stuff that we know works that can scale. And I think we want to be doing a whole bunch of it. And if, again, if you look at what all of our institutions saying, we, <laughs> we sure should be. Yeah. But I mean, just to question a little bit, your reasoning here, I mean, even fusion, right? I had uh, uh, some fusion people on, uh, on the podcast already, you, you know, their best case scenario is getting fusion on the grid somehow, you know, within the 2030s and, but even, you know, even by 2050, nobody there in, even in the fusion movement among the 30 plus some startups and other companies that are deeply engaged in fusion right now. So mm -hmm. they have received $4 billion in funding total so far. So something is going to happen with that money. But mm -hmm. none of them are saying it's a game changer, even in the medium term. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, what they're talking about is perhaps becoming a chunk of the grid in by like 2050, you know, like mm -hmm. a meaningful chunk, the, 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 like 15%, like 20%, 25 tops. Mm. And yes, if it, the energy demand keeps going up, then 25% is obviously sizable, but mm -hmm. it is scarcely a game changer totally for human life. I mean, it's not yeah. of the category that we possibly, at least with existing or forecast technology, you know, we everything doesn't change, even if fusion comes on the grid. So I'm just saying, mm -hmm. doesn't it make sense to have a bunch of big projects as opposed to sort of gambling on one or two? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. And listen, I'm not the guy to debate fusion and when and what. I'm just saying, using it as an example. No, no. Uh, but I'm. I, I guess I'm. I'm trying to introduce the question of what individuals are doing because you know in the olden days uh you know the good environmentalist would say you know let's recycle right i remember being on the street arguing that people should recycle and i was showing in my local town how much uh, trash we all threw out in a year and you know in mm -hmm. those days it was like you know it was it fit on a pallet and it was possible to, dis to display that now it's more but mm -hmm. but either way i mean you're asking a lot more than just recycle a little bit right i mean it's it's a lot more ambitious this big six thing yeah it's quite ambitious people would have to do real mm -hmm. things or, or or what or are you saying it's it's I, the I opposite it's like it doesn't cost you anything yeah, I don't think it's that i don't think it's necessarily ambitious and i guess the important thing is that we meet people where they are and it's it's what they they, what they are into doing, but yeah, I don't think it's that ambitious. And if it's if 
if it's these kind of things that is going to help you <laughs> help humanity survive, it's not that big of a deal. That's why I'm like, when people are like complain, you know, complaining about like, oh, but I'm going to have to stop and charge for 20 minutes. I'm like, come on, like, come on. It's just, a, it's <laughs> that's not much of a sacrifice. So, and we don't, you know, we don't focus on sacrifice. But, but listen, switching to an EV. Depending on it depends on where you live. You need to be able to afford it. Like there are a lot of reasons. Although if you drive a lot, a secondhand EV can be a fantastic thing to do financially if you don't have much money. Um, moving to more of a plant-rich diet, reducing the food waste is going to save save you money and just feels good. Composting is a pretty simple and fun thing to do. Flying, you know, reducing and optimizing not that challenging, not that much of a sacrifice. Probably saves you a bunch of money. Uh, offsets obviously costs you something, but if you can afford it, feels good. You know, these are not switching to renewable energy. If you get on community solar, you're instantly going to save money, 10, 15%. Uh, if you can afford it to get the loan, to get solar, and you're lucky to own your home, that can be a real money saver. Uh, if you buy it from your utility, it'll cost you a little bit more. Not everyone has that. Like these, the big six, yeah, they're they're not that crazy in the in the in the big scheme of things. They're not that crazy, but if you do like right now, I'm you know I I have to be in California a little bit, and you know East Coast California. You're saying that I should get in a car or take a train uh, and and spend a week to to get there. Or you're saying people shouldn't visit their relatives in Europe. I mean, these have real consequences. It's not just oh, I choose not to fly. I'm so good, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's real. And absolutely, and and we're not saying it. But once you start to get conscious, and we help people to understand, you know, flight's a big deal. So if you're if you have a lot of stress about your recycling and spending a lot of time on that, if you could figure out how to skip a flight in the next couple of years, that's going to be worth a decade of your recycling. And so, and so, yeah, if you have to go to California, maybe you don't. If you're fortunate enough that you would normally fly business or first class, maybe you fly economy. Maybe you pack that trip um, with along with some other stuff and stay longer instead of going twice, you go once. Like there are a lot of just pragmatic things you can do that often save you money and are convenient and save you time and hassle. Like so we're we understand that. And I'm not saying this, but if you listen to what all of our institutions are saying, that might be the answer. Like people, you know, there's a there's a Peter Kalmus is a local climate scientist and he doesn't fly anymore. And he has chained himself uh, to the front of a bank, yeah. and you know, we, like, like these are the these are the extremists that we talk about, right? We look at it and say, "Oh, that's nuts." But if you read what our institutions are saying, he may be actually that might be very. So it's I think that we have, a, and I have I include this in myself. I still fly. I'm trying to be much more conscious about it. I still eat meat. Like I still I'm not saying like no one do this, but. I think it, I think it would be it's yeah it's easy to make the argument that it's very logical for these people to do this and and they're actually fully right and we're just uh, ensuring that uh, what's easy for us aligns with our decisions. 
I guess if you if you really look at it right now, right, there's there's this degrowth movement, and I would put a bunch of the old environmental movement uh, into that, like this idea of degrowth or post-growth or whatever it is, you know, less of everything. And, you know, you got to tighten the belt kind of an attitude in various ways. Mm -hmm. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, you know, the view would be uh, this is actually a better life and all that stuff. So there's a whole ideology around it. And then you have the eco-modernists who say, well, technology solves everything. And the economists generally think that's true, right? So it's like, don't worry about the future. The future will take care of its own problems mm-hmm. because you know growth is exponential. Um, mm-hmm. You seem to have this pragmatic middle ground where you say you can be conscious, you can make some changes, and they're not all that painful, but you have mm-hmm. to be systematic about it, and it'll make a real difference. I mean, that's attractive. That's a, that's a very attractive message in between these two, which I find somewhat ridiculous, each of them, right? Degrowth, like somehow you're going to have the bulk of population, including elites that are not going to want to do that uh, somehow, except yep. that uh, they're not going to grow their businesses anymore for 20 years and look like uh, Japan in the 90s. And then you have these mm-hmm. eco-modernists who think, you know, the future is all uh, uh, hunky-dory because there'll be fantastic new tech breakthroughs. And maybe there will be, right? But uh, uh, (laughs) should we all gamble on that, right? Uh, You have to be pretty (laughs) certain, right? To say we're not going to change any of our lifestyle because in 20 years from now, there'll be 90 inventions that are going to solve all these problems. You seem to be saying something in between. You're like, you know, we should do more of all of these things, but we don't have to sort of panic and despair and and, and get this. Because the real issue here is also eco-anxiety. Like, There is a generation growing up right now that's, I mean, COVID was one thing that caused all kinds of anxiety, but if you Mm -hmm. add eco-anxiety on top of COVID anxiety, and I'm feeling a bit of this myself, I'm writing a book about uh, eco-technologies and and, and things, and it it, it wears on you. How do you personally deal with that, for example? Denial. <laughs> really? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, good advice. Uh, <laughs> we actually have a we, we have a, which says a lot about us. I think like we try to really keep it positive. So we have a one uh, called climate optimism, which basically sort of helps helps people. Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a very uh, real thing. So I don't know. It's sort of like you might as well be along for the ride and enjoy it and do the best that you can. And, and, you know, often just being really stressed about something doesn't actually help you. So uh, I think, I think a lot of this is just trying to paint the vision of a beautiful green future, which absolutely can exist and help get people on board so we can get there. I mean, the, 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 one of the things that we seem to forget again and again and again and again is that this vision of lots of money, lots of space, lots of stuff somehow making us happier, we know that that's not the case. Like money definitely helps. Like going from nothing on the street to having a roof over your head to having some food security, like happiness definitely rises, but then it tapers off pretty quickly. And if you're making any reasonable amount of money, like you can get a nicer bottle of wine, you can take a slightly different vacation. And then later on, you can get a bigger plane or another house or, but we know that those changes make very little and happiness levels have flatlined since the fifties, even though we have triple the amount of space that we used to and way more stuff. So we have we keep confusing 
that it's all about the money and about the stuff. And it's not, it's about the relationships. It's about the connections. It's about the experiences. We know this. And yet we're still playing the stupid game based on the idea that more is better. It's just, it's nuts. So there's an incredible green future that just makes sense and where we have more money and we have more health and we have more happiness, period. Like it's just, it, it couldn't be more obvious. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious to you. I wish it was obvious to the world because we might be in a different <laughs> place. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's exciting work you're doing. Um, and I like the spirit of the work because I think that it's easy to get I mean, maybe maybe you're right that these extremists on both sides are actually kind of useful. I mean, now I'm sort of wondering who, you know, the climate deniers, there's less and less of them and it's harder to mm -hmm. understand them. But some of them still exist. I, I get them in my LinkedIn feed now and then. <laughs> uh, and, and yep. you know, for me, it's it's surprising because some of the stuff that comes out is is pretty interesting. But but I guess you need all sides to realize, uh, you know, where you should position yourself. And I guess that's one of the insights I take away from what you're saying here. Um, but there's uh, yeah. value in the middle. That's that's your message. There's value in the middle. Um, taking real, yeah, I think so. Making I think real so. changes without yep. going crazy, and it's not gonna. You know, you're still gonna live a good life if you make these yeah, choices. You absolutely. think you can live a better and, and life. Listen, Probably if you really go quote unquote crazy and really go for it, you're probably living a good life as well. Like yep. I bet you Peter Kalmus, despite not flying all over the world, is actually in pretty good form, feeling feeling good. Like I think we learned that in COVID. Yep. Right? We we realized I think a lot of people got connected to what really matters. And it's about relationships and experience and and uh yeah, it's not like wow, I don't need to fly every week for work or that's that actually is not something attractive to me anymore and oh i like the outdoors and uh, let's move to the country and you know we we've gotten sort of our heads straight on 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 stuff that really is important to us so mm -hmm. um so it takes all types you know it takes all it takes it takes it takes all types and i think we just want uh, everyone in their corner of the world trying to make a difference and just listening to our institutions and trying to do do what they can and we need to it's not about us uh pointing fingers uh, at, you know we want to encourage people support the bright spots support the people that are doing the things and and we just need to get a a movement going that creates the new social norms that we need we need to live in this new way so that we can come into this beautiful green future together and it's going to take everyone the pragmatic environmentalist i like it <laughs> thanks graham this was a great discussion thank you so much yeah sam i liked it that was really fun thanks for that it's great <laughs> you have just listened to another episode of the futurized podcast with me trunarne unheim futurist scholar and author if you are interested in my products and services feel free to check out futurized.org store where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few of my books, such as Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership From Below. If you're interested in any or all of my projects, check out my website, trondundheim.com, which has links to other podcasts as well as my public appearances. Thank you. 
Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized, conversations that matter.